Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. In the U.S., there are roughly 6,500 breweries. Five years ago, there were just 3,000. This exponential growth is attributed to an emerging craft brewing industry. Craft brewers are well known for innovating distinct tastes from traditional beer-making styles and producing small volumes at a time. In this episode of Conversations with Environmental Disruptors, we will be talking to Great Divide Brewing Company, a regional craft brewer located in Denver, Colorado. Erin Cox joined the company to undertake a specialized technical role. She exceeded expectations by demonstrating ingenuity in mitigating the environmental impacts of Great Divide's processes and facilities. You will also hear from Caitlin Urso, the Small Business Assistance Program Officer at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Caitlin has worked closely with the craft brewing industry to examine and mitigate the environmental challenges of the industry. Welcome, Erin. It's so great to have you here to share your perspectives um, and practices with us. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. This will be a, a fun conversation. Great. I'm looking forward to it. What does a QAQC lab manager do exactly? Oh, loaded question. Um, um, so quality management. Um, so I was hired three and a half years ago um, to kind of come into Great Divide and implement a more robust quality management system, which would fit the needs of this brewery. Um, so that includes or included um, outfitting two laboratories um, with the necessary lab equipment needed to run specific analysis on what we consider critical control points mm -hmm. um, within the production of beer. So this encompasses everything from raw ingredients to finished packaged product. So we have two laboratories here at our brewery, um, one which focuses on micro and analytical testing, and then also a packaging analysis laboratory. Um, we also assist with research and development for new brands, um, as well as looking at efficiency improvements and hopes to make more beer with less essentially everything, like less ingredients, or looking at tank residency time, which equates to less energy, if you can reduce that and so on. Um, but then also ensuring that we never sacrifice the quality of our product in doing that. Um, so that's kind of a, a surface level synopsis of what we do from a quality perspective. Can you tell us how that, that role has evolved um, at Great Divide? Um, yeah, so it, it actually kind of evolved when two years ago um, there were several employees at Great Divide that sat down and we were kind of like, you know, Great Divide needs to be doing more. Um, you know, like we had kind of addressed some of the low-hanging fruit, but um, we had started production in a brand new facility, which is the complete opposite of our original location, our Arapahoe location. Um, and so because of that, you know, we wanted to really put a focus on um, ensuring that we were doing everything we could to produce beer and do it in an environmental, sustainable way, um, minimally impacting the environment, essentially. Um, so when that came about, we established our green team. Um, but um, in that, I guess I, I kind of 
became the leader of projects and and I think a lot of that has to do with um, my my current role I'm very hands-on in production and so when we established the green team you know you have people coming from all departments so you've got marketing you've got salespeople and you know they're gonna have different perspectives as things that we could be doing as a brewery but from a production standpoint I was really hands-on with like the analytics um, and knowing kind of our efficiencies and and things that we could approve upon. So for that reason, I think I kind of inherited the leadership role um, and that's how that evolved. Are there any game-changing innovations that you're keeping your eye on? Um, If you just look at ingredients, for example, um, there's a lot of research right now going into finding specific yeast strains that can produce um, similar aromas um, that are typically produced by hops or different hop variations. Um, The reason that this one is so cool to me is because firstly, I'm a microbiologist and I love yeast. Um, And then secondly, because if, if we could harness the capability to utilize yeast in lieu of hops to produce target hop aromatics, that could drastically decrease the need and amount of hops um, in, in beer production. Um, so when you think about that, just like any agriculture, hop agriculture utilizes a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're essentially finding a way to produce just as much beer um, in a more sustainable way by reducing how many hops you need, um, you know, previously before that raw material even comes into your facility. Between the growth of raw materials and the needs of the brew house, craft brewing is a water-intensive industry. Caitlin Urso, a Colorado state official, explains the extent of this impact. There's a lot of water use in um, in craft brewing, and craft brewing in particular. Um, they recognize that their water use um, is a little excessive and that it's not optimal and there can be a lot of things that can be done to reduce that water use. So um, approximately 70% of water um, in the brewing process is discharged as wastewater. Water use ratios um, world class in brewing is two and a half um, barrels of water for one barrel of beer brewed. Good is four to six. Um, so four to six barrels of beer, or sorry, barrels of water per one barrel of beer produced. So four to six times more water than beer you're getting out. Um, anything over six is not considered optimal and needs improvement for brewing. And the craft brewing average as of last year, um, I haven't seen the updated figure for this year yet, but the average for last year was 7.1 barrels of water per one barrel of beer. I mean, the fact that you're using seven times more water in your process than what you're getting out in your product, um, it's a lot of water. Most of, I mean, a lot of that water is being used in the packaging process. She mentioned Great Divide's water saving initiative, um, and that's come up as one of the leading innovations right now. Um, so could you take us through what what was the problem, uh, the problem that was being solved, the solution, as well as as well as um, the result? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this was essentially a water conservation project. So um, this particular project focused specifically on our bottling line. Um, the idea actually came from an Italian engineer who installed our filler several years ago. Um, but at Great Divide, we bottle can and keg our beer. Um, Each of those package types are unique in that they 
they can't use the same packaging line um, when producing them. Um, one of the major differences between bottling and canning beer is an internal rinse that occurs before the package is filled with beer. Um, so bottles receive an internal rinse utilizing water, whereas cans utilize a device which eliminates any static electricity that may exist when two cans are rubbed together, um, allowing any debris to drop out in that aspect. Um, so these internal rinses are a safety measure to ensure that there's no debris in a bottle or can before being filled. And if there is, that would be removed at this stage. So with that said, both types of packages receive an external rinse which utilizes water. Um, the external rinse of the cans and bottles is important because you don't want residual beer remaining on the outside of the package once it's sealed. Um, the stickiness of residual beer may misguide a consumer to believe that the package is leaking. Um, the other reason the external rinse is extremely important for glass bottles is for label adhesion. The glue works much better if the surface of the bottle is slightly wet. Um, so you can't necessarily eliminate that entire step to conserve water. Um, so one thing we recognized was that if we had the ability to recapture the internal bottle rinse water, we could likely reroute it to be reused at the sec second external bottle rinse water station, complete, completely eliminating the need for a separate water feed. Um, so what we did was we welded and installed a plate underneath the aspect of the bottle filler where the bottles are flipped upside down after re after receiving the internal rinse mm -hmm. to collect that water. And then we rerouted it to a small reservoir. Um, this piping also contains a filter to stop any large objects mm -hmm. or sediment from entering that reservoir. Um, our reservoir, this is kind of funny, is actually just a half barrel keg that we cut, that we cut open um, and welded the pipes to. <laughs> So a half, keg, yeah, um, a half barrel keg can hold, um, you know, over, depending on, you know, we have a pump in it. So we can hold a little over 30 gallons of water at any given time. Um, but or 15 gallons, I'm sorry, 15 gallons, I misspoke. Um, but within the keg reservoir is a water pump. So similar to what people use when their basement floods, um, it's built for extended continuous use in moving large volumes of water. You can actually just purchase one of these pumps on Amazon or at a Home Depot or wherever like that. Um, and they're about, they're anywhere between 100 to $150. Um, so these pumps, depending on the distance and height, it's attempting to push the water, have the ability to pump as much as 18 to 25 gallons a minute. Um, for our purposes, um, we only need to move about one and a half to two and a half gallons a minute um, in order to match the incoming flow used for that internal rinse. Um, by matching that flow rate, we prevent the reservoir from going dry or mm -hmm. overflowing. So when you put all of this into perspective, that means that um, you know, for example, in a 10 hour run time at a flow rate of two and a half gallons a minute, we've saved 1500 gallons of water by eliminating an extra water line that would be used um, for the, the external bottle rinse. That also means, you know, if you assume we run the bottling line 10 hours a day, five days a week for a month, we've saved 30,000 gallons of water. Um, wow, when you wow. Yeah, so when you compare that, that water usage um, or that water savings, um, that's the same amount of water. Um, that equates to the same amount of water that we would use at our 
new production facility in two and a half months. A year's savings of just doing this equates to the same amount of water that we use in two and a half months at our new production facility. So the overall cost of the project um, wasn't more than like 500 bucks. Um, and after looking at savings, that really means that the return on investment was was likely within the first few months. Um, so it was a really cheap um, and effective way to repurpose water and significantly significantly reduce our water consumption just on our bottling line. That is fantastic. Uh, those are exactly the kind of stories that we're looking for. Um, yeah. You know, you just mentioned like what five hundred dollars um, saving yeah. saving that much water. It, has this has this been shared um, with other craft brewers in the area or, or regionally? Um, and how, how has Great Divide kind of, um, if at all, promoted um, this idea? So, um, yeah, so we've we've really um, tried to use it as an educational piece for other breweries. So, mm -hmm. like, for example, working with the Small Business Assistance Program, um, I want to say two years ago, they put together um, a brewing summit conference specifically for small craft breweries. Um, and they asked several breweries to speak on topics um, or things that they've done in terms of reducing their, their manufacturing footprint or, you know, how they're... Um, collecting and looking at data analytics to be mm -hmm. able to create goals or projects. Um, so we've utilized avenues like that to share kind of what we've done here. Caitlin Urso was responsible for this convening of craft brewers to share their practices. Here's Caitlin again talking about the industry's waste challenge and how the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment facilitated industry collaboration. 96% of established breweries are what what we consider microbreweries or small brew pubs. Mm -hmm. um, the other 4% is regional, like Great Divide, and macro, so Anheuser-Busch, Miller Coors, etc. Um, so yeah, so Great Divide doesn't actually lie within um, either of the microbrewery or small pub categories. Um, but so when you're looking at all this and thinking about this, 96% um, of almost 65, I want to say 6,500 breweries right now in the nation are extremely small, producing small, smaller volumes. Um, we also know that these two categories tend to be the most inefficient when it comes to beer production. And that's illustrated actually by data provided by the Brewers Association's mm -hmm. um, Sustainability Benchmarking Program. Erin. So tell us about the project and the result of the collaboration. One of our most recent projects, which I'm super proud of, has been the implementation of a community recycling program to help small craft breweries and other small manufacturing facilities in our neighborhood, in our neighborhood divert hard to recycle waste streams. Um, one thing that we were personally battling at Great Divide was the amount of shrink wrap and polypropylene grain bags produced mm -hmm. during the production of our beer. Um, without the ability to compact and bale these streams, um, they cannot be sent to recyclers, which also means that they cannot be placed into single stream recycling. Um, they cause a lot of issues at sorting facilities because they can get stuck um, within the equipment causing extensive downtime, which ultimately reduces the overall effectiveness and the waste diversion mm -hmm. at that recycling facility. Um, a similar concept 
um, to the reason why you can't put your single stream recycling in a trash bag at home, right? Um, so the issue with baling though is that these materials are currently not that valuable in the recycling market um, like cardboard or aluminum, right? Mm-hmm. And so even though we are the largest craft brewery in Denver, likely producing substantially more of these materials than anyone, um, we could not justify making the investment in the equipment needed to bail these materials due to an extremely slow return on investment for what is, you know, relatively an expensive upfront cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in 2017, I, by um, being involved in the Colorado Environmental Leadership Program and the Small Business Assistance Program, um, I was learning of opportunities, and um, one of those were grant opportunities. And so in 2017, in the fall of 2017, um, I applied for a Recycling Resources Economic Opportunity Grant through the state of Colorado, um, proposing that if we received funding to install balers, we would collect and bail these materials for small manufacturers so that they could be diverted and recycled, um, eliminating them from going into the landfill. Um, Also part of my proposal, if selected, um, was to supply reports to the participating businesses outlining the weights in which they diverted by participating. Um, and that was in hopes to educate, and it's in hopes to educate um, other small businesses and promote a more sustainable business model um, at Great. their facilities. Yeah. So the other hope was to act as a case study. Mm-hmm. So if we were successful, other small manufacturers would adopt similar concepts. Um, so long story short, <laughs> uh, we were selected to receive the funding um, and we essentially went what I call live with the program back in August. And from August to the end of 2018, we've actually diverted over 30,000 pounds of cardboard um, polypro grain bags, polypropylene grain bags and shrink wrap from the landfill. Um, And one thing to mention about cardboard um, and why it's important, by collecting cardboard from these businesses, they no longer have the need to place it in their single stream. And this ultimately means you're reducing the number of recycling and trash Mm -hmm. pickups that you have at your facility, Mm -hmm. which ultimately reduces your carbon emissions associated with moving those materials. It's essentially win-win all around. Um, And we currently have, I wanna say, I think my last count was 16 businesses participating. Um, And we do have some specific criteria um, that the businesses have to follow. We also have some pre-qualifications. The qualifications are not that complex. It's basically, we just wanna make sure that no one's gonna drive 50 miles and show up at our loading dock with a pallet (laughs) of shrink wrap, right? Because then you defeated the entire purpose of the program. Yeah, Um, exactly. So yeah, that's I think that that's our most recent project, and and so far it's been really successful. So we're super proud of that. Wow, great! Well, congratulations to you, and, and great divide on on implementing a great initiative. From Great Divide's perspective, I mean, you guys have made large strides in moving towards a more sustainable path, and you were recognized by several certification and award programs, some of which you've already mentioned, like the Small Business Environmental Assistance Program and the Colorado Greening Program. Um, So what were some of the internal and external drivers um, for, you know, your achievements at Great Divide? Yeah, so... um like I mentioned earlier, I think 
the internal motivation um, really came about two years ago when we had that group of employees get together and recognize mm-hmm. that as a company, we weren't doing as much as we could, right? To investigate and ultimately attempt to decrease our manufacturing footprint. Um, and so that's when the green team was established. Um, in terms of external drivers, uh, I think we're seeing a shift in consumerism, right? How consumers are selecting the products they purchase. One of the aspects that consumers are beginning to focus on is how environmentally conscious a business is or company is mm-hmm. um, or what they're actively doing in order to ensure that they're minimally impacting the environment when they produce that product, right? So if you're producing a good and have not implemented any kind of environmental stewardship into your business model, the reality today, I think, is that you've lost an interest of some consumers, um, which is ultimately profits for your business. And those profits have now gone to another business that does have an environmental focus. Um, um, I think consumers are starting to hold manufacturers accountable. And I actually think that's really cool. What do you think are the key priorities for um, uh, the sector? The growth in this industry honestly has been insane, right? Um, So with so many breweries coming online, which feels like daily, um, I think that it's great that programs like the Brewers Association um, continue to put a lot of focus on environmental sustainability. Brewers who are opening their new breweries look to the Brewers Association for continued support and educational resources. So as long as the Brewers Association can continue to support that mindset and sustainability, these these new breweries are more likely to implement environmental sustainability into their business Mm -hmm. models. So, you know, the ultimate goal is, you know, the industry is growing, but we need to grow sustainably, right? The more beer we produce, the more resources we're using. Well, finally, I'd like to ask on on behalf of our craft beer lovers out there, um, what is Great Divide's bestseller and how can we find it? (laughs) Um, Honestly, this is probably the hardest question that you (laughs) asked me in these words. So I'm I'm torn between telling you what our best sellers are and what my personal favorites are. Um, Please we do have give some, us both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we have some incredible beers coming out, um, especially in the next few months. Some really great seasonals, um, but one that we've had around for a while. She only makes an appearance once a year. Um, we we label all of our beers as bold characters, but one is Orbel. Um, she is a Belgian style ale. Um, it's always been a favorite of mine, and I think a lot of Great Divide followers. Pro tip: It makes an incredible beer mosa. So if you're into breakfast beers, that Fantastic. one is a great one. Um, and then you know Yeti is is always been a favorite for me um and we have some yeti variations coming out this year some new ones that i'm excited about um our traditional yeti is a this big bold american style imperial stout so you know thick and chocolatey and smells like a campfire roasting marshmallows type thing um we're coming out with a chocolate cherry version, so oh, chocolate yum. cherry Yeti variation, and I think that hits the shelves in February. So, um, 
that's a really exciting one. I've, I'm excited about it. I've been able to taste the pilot beers, so I'm excited. Um, but in terms of finding these beers, you can go to our website. So it's just greatdivide.com um, in, an, in our beers tab. Um, we have a section where you can actually see all the beers that um, we're making, our 2019 portfolio. Um, but also there's a, a like in-website um, beer finding app. And so you can put your location and see where our beer is near you. So, yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time and also for sharing your best practices and perspectives on the industry with us. Um, We hope to see more of these sustainability innovations uh, coming out of Great Divide, as well as the craft brewing sector. Um, So, yeah, thank you again, Erin. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is always a fun conversation. Thank you also to our listeners. Please stay tuned for more conversations with environmental disruptors at ELI's People, Places, Planet podcast. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.